Zuri say say. <laughs> Don't your neighbor and say in deep and deep. If if it's quite if it's hard to say that, just say simply say eta. Yeah, that is good. Um, I remember when we went to the Czech Republic and uh, we had the we, we we were asked to do an Africa night uh, with Sean, and he was he was uh, the. The, the one playing the guitar and uh, singing, and I was, I was a backup vocalist. Um, um, it was really, really intimidating. I mean, you're a Zimbabwean, you're an African, but still it's intimidating to, to talk about where you come from and uh, uh, the place that you, you have lived for so many years. Um, uh, so it's it's uh, today. I don't take this lightly. I, I I've uh, actually spent some time before God, just asking God, what what is it that I can talk about uh, when to speaking about xenophobia, and um, as intimidating as it is, uh, Nikki had the had the the wisdom to to bring this, and I hope she brought some. She put something very strong in here. Um, so. Uh, once in a while, you take you see me taking a sip. Know that it's it's a it's a hard point that that I'm I'm about to to raise or or it's something that that's really hard to say uh, that I'm I'm about to to uh, that I'll be getting into. But talking about intimidation, how many people have ever gone to an interview? Have ever been in an interview? How many people? How many of us have ever been to an interview? You know, the interview is quite hard, and we spend hours and and uh, a lot of time just preparing for the possible questions that we're going to be asked, right? We spend a lot of time preparing for that. And one of the hardest questions that you, you, uh, you're normally asked in an interview is, so tell us something about yourself. That's very hard to answer. And I've, I wondered why it's hard to answer. And I guess it's hard to answer because we live constantly with ourselves, firstly. And we, we know ourselves. So when we are going to answer that question, the truth of the matter is that uh, when I'm about to answer that question, I may, and I know that I may be exaggerating what I'm about to say. So I know myself. But the other reason why it's hard to answer that question is because we've never stopped and paused and to just think of ourselves in just a collection or an expression of words. We've never stopped and just thought about who am I? Where, who am I? And, and uh, exactly what are my fears and my strengths as a person? So what an interview does is it allows us to, to stop and think, who am I? That is why when you get to an interview, you are, able to, you, to, you are able to articulate very well who you are. You're able to use words like, I'm a self-motivated, I'm self-motivated, I'm a team player. The one that I like the most is I'm flexible. You're flexible until the day they ask you to work overtime and you've got other plans. We'll see how flexible you are. So it's easy for us to, to really use those words because, let's be honest, no one really knows us. You're not known. But just imagine if you were known. If you were a person like Hitler and you, were, you, were, you, were, you had to sit through an interview what would you say? Because just think about it. As much as he had, he would have a great PR team, a creative team that could rebrand him, that could uh, uh, re, uh, give him a new image. But still, they would have to work hard. They could use words like, 
He could use words like, I'm a conqueror. I'm a frontier kind of guy. I'm a go-getter. But as much as the PR team would take off his mustache and take the, uh, give him a, a better hairdo, still, it would be hard to get rid of the reputation he has. So Clive, what does this have to do with Zimbabwe? There's a lot to do with Zimbabwe. I may, I may take the seat of an interviewer today and ask you a simple question as an interviewee. Tell me something about Zimbabwe. As you think about that, no, that's strong, so I need to take a sip of this. Most of you, to be honest, if you had to think about Zimbabwe, most of the things that you would have, um, the uh, 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 things to do with the landscape, things to do with the climate, most of you wouldn't dare talk very positively about the economy, about the politics, or even maybe the culture of this nation. But would the, uh, the negative would outweigh the positive. And the reason why the negative outweighs the positive is because we do have a reputation. And the reputation that is, that is built up from a history that we have had as Zimbabwe, from the time we got the name Zimbabwe. We have a history, a reputation. A reputation from 1980, which I won't even dare to go a reputation of 1990, a thing called ESAP, Economical Structural, uh, Economical Structural Adjustment Program. 1990, where we went through a drought and we ate yellow mealy meal called Kenya. How many people remember that? We have a reputation of 50,000 Zim dollars, 1997. If you don't know that, just Google it. We have a reputation of land reform, 98 to 2002. We have a reputation of a disputed election, 2002. We have a reputation of an introduction of a currency through a check system called bearers checks, agro checks, travelers checks. We have a reputation of Operation Sunrise. Farm mechanization, 2003, 2006 to 2008, where we went from zero to hero to quintillion. Hyperinflation. A reputation where our shops were filled with and stocked up with salt and green bars of soap. A reputation of fuel queues. A reputation of joining a queue when you met a queue. 2006 and 2008. A reputation 2008 of a disputed, another disputed election. A reputation of a currency, introduction of another currency, 2009 called dollarization. A reputation of 2013, another disputed election. 2014, a reputation of Zim Asset. 2016, a reputation of another introduction of another currency called bond notes. 2017, 
introduction of command agriculture, 2018, another disputed election. That is our reputation. That is our history as Zimbabweans. If I had to take a word from a, 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 a lawyer that, was, that went viral uh, recently from the Concord, I would say, ladies and gentlemen, my lords, this is the factum of the status quo in Zimbabwe. These are the facts that we live in. They need, they need, it needs no evidence that why people live in despondency, in exaggerated fear, in a dislike and repulsion of this nation. We don't need any evidence why we come. It's easy for somebody to come in and say, why do you do things like that? But it's because of a history. We have a history that has brought us this far. A history where we think it's the same old, same old. We're going to go through the same old things. A life of despondency, a life of irritation, a life of frustration, a life of migration. One foot in, one foot out. Five million Zimbabweans in South Africa. We're never in this nation. We're always constantly thinking, I need to get out of this nation. Actually, when you get, get into another nation you can, and you've got a Zimbabwean uh, passport, you cannot go in on stilt mode. Your, your passport rings bells because there are so many stamps on your, on your passport to say, hey, this guy has been traveling. What's the problem with this guy? That is the, the norm, yes. That is the norm. <laughs> Welcome to Zimbabwe. This is who we are. These are the facts that we live in. But these facts should never be looked at as truth. These facts should be... Thank you, that's something stronger. <laughs> these facts should be looked at... Um, should, these facts should never be looked as, uh, as, as, as truth. They should all, all, we should always consider what the truth of God is. We should always look at what God has for us. The truth of the matter is these facts... Make us live in fear. That's what it is. It's a phobia that we live in. A fear of the unknown, fear of the worst, fear of the same old, same old. But God has a great plan for this nation, which he wants to manifest through his church. And the church needs to realize that and, and, and walk in that truth. If we can be like the world and just simply look at ourselves and, and say, have the same perception that the world has and say, hey, listen, God has forgotten us and things will, ne will, will never be okay in this nation. The biggest challenge that Zimbabwe has is not an out outside uh, perception that the other nations have about us, but it is a perception that we have of ourselves. It's a, a perception that we have. We are like uh, the Israelites who had grasshopper mentality. We look at ourselves and we, we look at ourselves and say we are in this world where there are giants and we can never achieve anything as Zimbabweans. We can never, ever achieve anything. Everything we try to achieve, it's not significant. We go from zero to hero to quintillion. That is who we are. It's always in the negative. But God wants to do certain things through us. Whenever you, you go online and you, you have to do some application, 
and you go to the place written country. The drop down just drops us all. The, you just, all to find yourself, you just drop all the way down. You just need a, a millstone to tie, tie. Tie yourself with a millstone. Just drop all the way down and you'll find us there. That's where we are, Zimbabweans. We are all the way down. And that's the menta mentality that we have. We, we, we think of ourselves as the lowest. We actually think like we are always constantly looking up to other nations because we are at the bottom and we are constantly having to look up to all the nations. We can all think to ourselves and uh, we can all have this mentality or we can say, listen, I'm going to channel all my emotions into the truth of God. The first shall be the last and the last shall be first. I, am, I may be last, but I am the first according to scripture. God has destined you to be the first. We need to put our flesh in check and be led by the Holy Spirit. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given us a spirit of xenophobia. The greatest uh, device that the enemy has is fear. Two devices that the enemy constantly uses is deception and fear. The Bible says that he roams around like a roaring lion. Deception and fear. And he's looking for those whom he can devour. He's looking for those who he can devour and take captive. And there's a man in the Bible who succumbed to fear, the deception and the lie of fear. This man was called Job. Job 3 verse 25 says the following. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. What is the thing that you fear the most? What is the thing that you fear in life? What is the thing that you fear for your family? What is the thing that you fear for your nation? What is the thing that you fear the most? Because here's a testimony. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. That is the testimony of Job. But God has not given us that spirit. And we should never give the enemy a foothold or a place for him to do what he, what he wants. There's a saying that says, a bird can fly over you and poop in the air, but it will, you can decide whether it poops on your head. So you decide, and let, you decide whether fear is going to be pooped on your head or you are going to walk beyond fear. You decide. It's up to you. You decide. It's not, it's not anyone else. We, we're living in an environment where there is fear, but it's up to you to decide whether you will continue to live in fear. It's interesting that every time God met a man for the first time or he came, a man had an encounter with God, he always used these very words, fear not. Fear not. Those are the words that God used. And that's exactly what God is saying to us. Fear not. For he has not given us a spirit of fear. Second uh, Timothy 1 verse 7. He has not given us a, sp a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, of love, and self-control. I'm going to get into those uh, three, but different, in, a, in a different way. Power, love, self-control. Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer. If we are going to live beyond 
uh, fear, we need to pray. It's good for us to pray. We, have, we, we pray to a God who is supreme. We pray to a God who is almighty, a God who knows everything. He is still seated on the throne. You know that very thing before Genesis, which was a coup, which was not a coup, that, that Lucifer tried to do. You know that very thing. He still seated on the throne. God, our God is still seated on the throne. And he is almighty. He sees all things. He knows all things. He is not perturbed by what happens in the nations. He actually knows the things that will, that will happen in the nations. That is the God we have a dialogue, not a monologue, a dialogue with. We pray to this God. And that is what we, we ought to do. We constantly need to be a people that pray. It's easy for you to turn the TV channel and watch the news uh, or go to the newsstand and buy a newspaper to get the news, what, the, what they think about this nation. But news on the TV and news through papers, there is something about it. It's always old news. They cannot tell you the future. It's always old news. Number two, it's biased news. It's one-sided news. Newspapers and, and the TV, uh, TV news is, is, is all focused on money. They want money. So they will do anything for you to buy their news. Number three, sometimes these days we're dealing with fake news. Sometimes you are dealing with fake news. So what you can do is turn to the God news through the Bible and through prayer. Turn to the God news and get some good news. A couple of weeks ago, I stood here and said, Africa is going gonna, is gonna to have some trying times. Within a couple of weeks, the RAND dropped. The RAND, South Africa is in recession. DRC is in problems. Uganda is in problems. Because God knows exactly what is going to happen. John 16 says, the Spirit of God will tell you things to come. He will tell you things to come so that you are not alarmed when they happen. Prayer, through prayer we get power. Through prayer we release power. Remember I said the, the first point was spirit of power. He, through prayer you get power, you release power. In James 5 verse 16, the Bible says that uh, prayer... The heartfelt and persistent prayer, this is the amplified, persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Whenever you get on your knees or whenever you address God and speak to God, you are releasing tremendous power. And it continues in verse, seven, uh, verse 17, it says the following. It says that Elijah was of like nature like you and I. He, he did exactly what you and I did. Actually, you probably have never run away from a woman if you're a man. But he ran away from a woman. But he was of like nature. But he prayed fervently that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. Imagine the power that went into holding up or holding off all the rain. And when he decided to pray, it rained on that day. On that very day he decided to pray, it rained. You 
Right now I'm talking to the most powerful people in the world. Trump is not very powerful. He may have uh, the, the, the red button at his fingertip, but he's not the most powerful. You are the most powerful because you can shape what happens in the, na in the nations through prayer, through you releasing your prayers. But what, what would I liken prayer to? Prayer is, is like a, a man who owns a piece of land, and uh, all that land has is rich with oil. It's rich with uh, gold. It's rich with diamonds. It's rich with, with, with uh, platinum. But all that guy does is farms. Mriwo. All he does, he farms mbida. All he does, he farms relish. That's all he does. He doesn't mind it. And that's how most of you, uh, us Christians are. We, we, uh, we sit in all that power, but we don't release that power. We sit on all that power because the power of life and death is in the tongue. And we sit on all that power and we murmur, we complain, and do not release life. And we don't shape the world that we want to live in. It is important for you and I to be a people of prayer. There's a story in the Bible where Moses, as he was on top of a mountain, as he was praying, uh, uh, her and Aaron uh, were, were beside him. And as, as he prayed, the, he, uh, the, the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. As he prayed, the Israelites would advance and, and overtake the Amalekites and beat the Amalekites. But as he got tired and as his power was sapped, what the enemy wants to do in your life, as he saps your power, the Amalekites started winning against the Israelites. So what uh, her and Aaron did is they held up um, Moses' hand and he continued to praise God and pray. And they continued to advance and advance until Caleb destroyed the Amalekites. And that is how, what prayer is. When you decide, nah, it's not necessary for me to pray, the enemy gains ground and he gains a foot. And you end up thinking nothing will be achieved in Zimbabwe. The second point is purpose. Purpose. Purpose has to do with the sound mind. You are not a mistake and you are not here by mistake. You are not a mistake and you are not here by mistake. When God made you, he put you in this place and, and he, he wrapped flesh and blood around something called a gift. He did not... Put a gift in flesh and blood. He wrapped flesh and blood around a gift. You are a gift to society. You are a gift to this nation. God, before the beginning of time, knew that there would be a time like this. And he knew that society would need a person like you. Therefore, he wrapped a gift around flesh and blood and made you live in a place called Zimbabwe. He did exactly the same thing for a person called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born as a slave. He served in the king's palace. Nehemiah could have thought to himself, I am a slave. I would not amount to anything. But he sought the benefit that he could bring for the nation of Israel. What is the benefit that you can bring for the kingdom of God? 
where you live and where you work. That is what you should be thinking. And that's how you should be living your life. Because purpose is very important. There's a young man called Joseph, the guy who had uh, a coat of many colors. Sorry, I will jump around many, uh, the, the Bible today because this, I think, uh, deserves jumping around the Bible. But there's a guy who's, who, who had uh, a coat of many colors. He had a dream. And his dream took him to a pit. From the pit, you are sold to Potiphar. From Potiphar, you are uh, cast into a prison. From prison, you are elevated to prime ministers. Those are the four Ps of destiny. Pit, Potiphar, prison, prime minister. You are going through all that. You are going through all that because God has a purpose for you. But the thing that Joseph had through those four is he had purpose. Everywhere you put Joseph, you put him in the pit, they raise him up again. You put him in Potiphar, he is the leader of all the servants. You put him in prison, he's the head of all the prisoners. You put him in Egypt, he is the prime minister. Because purpose is like a boy, it's a, it's a B-U-O-Y. No matter how much you try and put it down, it will always float up. No matter how much you try and hold it down, it will float up when you have purpose. When you continue murmuring, then you will go down. But when you have purpose, you come up. So today I'm here to tell somebody who has been thrown into a pit. And the word pit is just an acronym. It's purpose in transition. You are in transition from one place to another. God has an expected end for, for, for you. He knows the, 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 end from the, begin, the end from the beginning. And he has an expected end for you. God has an expected end for you. For David to become king, he had, go, he had to go through the lion he had to go through the bear, and he had to go through Goliath to become the king. You are going through a purpose transition. You are transitioning from one purpose to another. Just always remember that you're transitioning from one purpose to another. Joseph had, in, 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 uh, when his brothers came to Joseph, to Joseph and apologized for everything they had done to him in life, Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph said the following. What you meant for evil, against me for evil, God meant it for good. God is turning around things for good for your life. What has been meant for evil in Zimbabwe for you, God has turned it around for good for you. You are in a, in a, in a, in a gym and you are... You are, you are you're, you're pulling weights and, you're, and God is preparing you for something greater. In Jeremiah 12 verse 5, when, when Jeremiah complains about the, the unrighteous and the wicked, God says the following to Jeremiah. He says the following, and it's a hard one. He says, if you have run against men, and they have wearied you. How will you compete against horses? If you have run against men, Jeremiah 12 verse 5. If you have run against men and they have wearied you, how will you compete against horses? I'm not here to, give, to come and tell you that things are going to be glorious and, and you, you, will ha you will live happy days. But where you're going, they are giants. 
where you're going and the promised land you need to get to, they are giants. And God knows that they're giants and he's preparing you to face those giants. So you are in training. My third point is pillar. Pillar. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. The church is a ground and a buttress or it's a pillar. It's a pillar and the ground of truth. That's what the church is. You and I are pillars in this society where we live. And a pillar is something that holds up a whole building. A whole, the, 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 the structure of the whole building is held up through a pillar. And if you remove that pillar, it all falls down. And we are the pillars to this society. If we go around murmuring, that is the pillar that will, will hold up the society. If we go around complaining, that's the pillar that will hold up the society. You are a pillar. You are a pillar of truth. What is truth? Truth is this. Truth is God has set you as a messenger of hope. He's set you as a messenger of faith. He has set you as a messenger of love. He has set you as a messenger of reconciliation. And you have to believe that God has set you and sent you as that, as a pillar. The amazing thing about being an ambassador is this is that no matter where you're thrown in the, in, in, in the nation, you can be the ambassador of America in, in Somalia and, and uh, live in Somalia. Whatever is happening in Somalia does not affect you because you get your resources from America if you are an American ambassador. Ladies and gentlemen, you are an ambassador of heaven. You are getting your resources and you're getting your supply from a kingdom that's greater than the one you live currently. You may be in Zimbabwe, but you are not of Zimbabwe. There is a kingdom that's greater that, you, that, that supports you and has your back. You are an ambassador. Always remember that you and I are just ambassadors of a greater kingdom. If you forget that, there's a, a man called Samson, Judges 16. Samson was a man that was very strong. But you know the thing about Samson, what, what they couldn't understand is where he got his strength. So I deduced this, that Samson was, if you looked at Samson, he was not a muscular person. He was just a scrawny guy. Because for them to ask, where does this guy get his strength? He must have been, they must, he, mustn't, he couldn't have been a muscular guy. Okay? And that is how the church is. The world is constantly asking, where does the church get its power? Where does the church get its strength? It's, it's hard for, for them to pick up where we get our strength. But Matt, Samson did something silly. He told Delilah where his strength came from. And the enemy knows where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from prayer, being connected to God. So he told Delilah where he got his strength. And Delilah brought in somebody to cut Samson's hair as he was sleeping. And then she shouted, Samson, the Philistines have come. And he got up uh, like usual, thinking that his, he still had strength. But he had spent his time complaining, uh, spent his time murmuring, spent his time not praying and connecting with God. And he got up and thought, I'll do as usual. 
what I normally do. And as he got up, they bound him. They bound him. They, they beat him up and bound him. They bound him and took him to prison. And they pluck out his eyes. That is a meaning. They plucked out his eyes because once you don't have purpose, you cannot see where you're going and your strength has been cut off. Prayer and purpose. So they cut off his prayer life and they took out his purpose. So one time, they, the, the Philistines had, they, they had a, a celebration on how they'd, they'd conquered the Israelites and how um, they'd conquered Samson. And they brought in Samson to, as entertainment. There were 3,000 people in that building. And what Samson did was, he was led by a young man, a little boy. When you don't have vision and purpose, you're led by your emotions, you're led by your senses, you're led by immaturity. But he was led and he still had some wisdom and he, he was led to these two pillars by the young man. He said, take me to where this structure is held up. And he was taken to that structure and he felt the two pillars. And then he prayed. He got his power back. He said, Lord, strengthen me this once. And for my two eyes, for my purpose, revenge me. And he put weight on that pillar and on the right and put weight on the left pillar. And the whole building came down. And he killed more people in just that one instant than he had done in his life. We never have to get to that stage friends, where other pillars hold up society and we now have to go and break them down. We should always continue to have our prayer lives and our purpose intact so that other pillars can never take root and hold uh, uh, society and, 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 and the economy or politics. Amen. You may be here today as the musicians come up. And you feel like, hey, you know what? I've lost my purpose. I've lost my prayer life. I've lost my, my relationship with God. And I need to regain that. I need to see Zimbabwe in a different light, in a, in a different way uh, than I, I saw it. I need to see Zimbabwe purposefully than I've ever seen it. You know, there's a, in 2 Kings 6, there's a prophet called Elisha. His servant came out in the morning, and as he came out in the morning, he saw the city that they were in was surrounded by an army, the army of Syrians. And he went to, uh, to Elisha and said, Elisha, we are surrounded by the army of the Syrian, the Syrian army. What should we do? And Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, open up his eyes. And as his eyes were opened up, he saw a multitude of fire and chariots around. And as his eyes were opened up, he got faith and hope. He knew that there was a hope. There was a future. And God did the opposite to the, to the Syrian army. He put blindness upon the Syrian army. And they walked in fear. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we continue in Zimphobia is this. 
our eyes are not opened. And today God wants to open up your eyes to see. To see the hope and the future that he has for your business. He has for, for, for the things that you are, your family, the things that you are involved in. Anything that you are involved in. So if you are here today and you are saying, you know what Clive, I want my eyes to be opened up. As everyone gets up just to, to take away the intimidation of the